Greetings, my name is Keith Schertz, and this is CougarCast. Thank you very much for taking time out to hang out with me for a little bit here. Happy 2020 BYU football season. The Cougars are going to be playing football this year. It looks like it. I was wrong. Against all odds, it looks like they're going to actually give this thing the old college try. Uh, So the Cougars had a 12-game football schedule. Ten of those games get canceled. Uh, Down to two games. It was down to Houston and North Alabama. And the next thing you know, the Cougars have worked that thing all the way back from two games to eight games. So let's talk briefly about the BYU football schedule uh, and where it stands now and kind of a a quick overview of, of what the season may look like. Uh, of, of course, caveat after caveat, the 2020 caveat, which is, we shall see. But currently, it looks like September 7th, they are going to be playing the Midshipmen, the Navy. They're taking on the entire Navy. Bring on the Merrimack and the Monitor. Okay. Um, the, uh, the Navy, they're going to go out to Annapolis, Maryland, go play the Navy on Labor Day. That'll be on ESPN primetime game. It should be big, big, big ratings. Exactly what you want when the whole point of the program is exposure. Uh, next game that we'll be playing will be September 19th. That'll be against the army West point. They'll be out at Mitchie stadium. Checking it out. So a couple games against some option teams, which makes some sense because it was an option about whether or not to play this year. All right. Now, look, after that, Tom Homo has added another uh, group of games uh, to the list. So Troy, the Troy Trojans are coming to Provo in 2020. We've made an agreement to go out and play the Troy Trojans in Alabama uh, at a later date, we will uh, go ahead and be doing that. We'll also uh, was that'll be on September twenty sixth. That'll be in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. No word on fans or not. Uh, on October tenth, the Cougars are slated to play the University of Texas San Antonio. The Road Runners. Meet me. Don't sleep on Texas San Antonio. Sometimes they're a little frisky. I wouldn't sleep on that game. That's not an automatic one. Neither is Troy, by the way. So, uh, and, and also Army and Navy, okay? They're, they're all okay group of five guys, and in the right year, they can grab BYU for sure. They could they could certainly pull off a win there. Uh, and then uh, Houston is still on the schedule October 16th. Then they will be playing the Texas State Bobcats, again, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. That's on October 24th. And then the following week on October 31st, Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers, the Twitter rivalry between the two best mascots in America, Cosmo and Big Red. It's going to be happening on Halloween. So um, so that'd be great. Uh, the two best costumes in all of college and the universities that represent them on Halloween Day. That makes all the sense of the world. In fact, just put it on the books every year. 
Every Halloween, have, have the Big Red versus Cosmo game. I'm all in. Let's go. Uh, and then finally, uh, North Alabama and Lavelle Edwards Stadium. So six games at home, two on the road at uh, military academies. Would love to be able to play Air Force. I don't think that's happening. They like their spot in the Mountain West, and Mountain West is not playing. But it would be great if you played Air Force. And uh, the Cougars could try to win the Commander-in-Chief trophy. <sighs> All right, so the uh, that's the schedule. Let's just get into football. In terms of what, what the season looks like and all this stuff, obviously, who knows. But a, a few things I wanted to talk about that I think are, are real important for us to remember. Put you know our football brains back in. Reinstall some of the narratives around the BYU football team. I think that's real important for us to do. So if you remember last year, the narrative of last season was to extend or not to extend Kalani Satake. Eventually, uh, after 10 games of the season, Kalani Satake made the decision, or maybe even 11. I think it was just before that last game when they played San Diego State. But they, Tom Holmo finally was, yeah, it was senior day. So after 11 games, uh, the, uh, the decision was made by Tom Holmo to go ahead and extend Kalani Satake. Uh, it was about as late as he possibly could have made that choice. I guess it, I guess it could have been a, even a little later, but as far as BYU goes, it usually isn't that dicey. And uh, the reluctant contract extension is always a bizarre thing to be involved in. It's not exactly what you want, but it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Kalani Satake is 27 and 25 through his career. That is an average over his, over his four seasons. On average, that is 6.85 wins a season and 6.25 losses a season. Um, the Cougars last year with Kalani Satake under under his uh, leadership, the Cougars were 64th overall in F+, which is that amazing combination of uh, Brian Fromau and Bill Connolly's. Uh, it's a it's a mashing of their their advanced analytics statistics. So it takes into account pace of play, garbage time, uh, you know, whether the the drive ended at the end of the half, all those things, and uh, strength of schedule, all of those things all get mashed in. Uh, the F-plus rating, uh, it's on Football Outsiders, tends to be, like, super solid, really good. We've talked about it for years on this podcast. Cougars were 64th out of 130 college football teams. Uh, they are college football's Mendoza line they've been kind of middle of the pack and it's been that way a long time for BYU they've had okay seasons uh overall and you know they've been kind of this litmus test of if you beat BYU you're probably having a good season if you lose to BYU you're probably having a bad season uh, there's a few exceptions to that rule that you could point to but over the over the course of the last 10 years that's really been the case. If you if you lose to BYU, you're probably having a bad year. And if you um, if BYU beats or yeah, if you lose to BYU, you're probably having a bad year. If BYU uh, if you if you're able to beat BYU, you're probably having a good year. So they're they're really kind of this this like gatekeeper to the top half of B uh, of college football, and they've kind of been in that spot for a while, and. 
I'm not sure how that changes. If you remember, if you've been a loyal listener to the show last year, I kind of said, not kind of, I did say this, <laughs> that I didn't think Kalani Satake was ever going to be the kind of coach that was going to make the Cougars into a top 25 team. He may be able to get us there once. He may be able to get get us there every now and then. Um, maybe. I don't really think so, though. Because the, the thing is, is under the four years of Kalani Satake, again, you're, you're sitting at just under seven wins a year and just over six losses a year. That That's... That's just what we're looking at year after year. And, yeah, there was one particularly bad year with Kalani. Uh, and then otherwise they've made bowl games. They've gone two and one in those bowl games, if that matters to you. Uh, the, the, the main thing with Kalani is the hardest thing to do in sports, like it's the last level, is to become consistent and to give a consistent effort each and every single week and this is the thing. Anytime anything good happens with Kalani, it's erased right away. So you go ahead and you have a big win at um, at Wisconsin. You're going to be losing to Northern Illinois. If you're going to go ahead and beat USC, you're going to lose to Toledo. Um, you're going to lose to UMass. All right. You're going to have these games where you, you come up big. You beat a team that you probably shouldn't beat. And then later we find out that that team has had a down year. And then what happens is we lose to this team that we probably shouldn't lose to who's having an up year. So I guess it sort of makes sense in that sense. But the, the Cougars really are sort of that litmus test. If, you, if, you, if you're good enough to beat BYU, you're probably having a good year. Uh, and if, if, if BYU is able to beat you, you're probably having a bad year. And... The other thing that's kind of strange with them is is that it's the it's the consistency basis now. That's the one thing that um, it used to happen occasionally to Bronco Mendenhall, but it seems to happen a lot more frequently with Kalani Satake. The other thing that we've covered in the past about Kalani Satake is is that he has an inordinate amount of games that come down to the final play of the game. Uh, through his four years, he's had a crazy, crazy volume of final play of the game uh, results. And he's actually come out roses in most of those scenarios. The Cougars have been pretty fortunate in these games that have been decided on the very last play of the game under Kalani Satake. So it's been uh, this... Uh, th that he should feel real good to have his 27 wins because uh, I think there's four or five games that came down to the very last play that the Cougars ended up winning uh, that could have easily gone the other way uh, had had it not happened. And he's only benefited, or uh, the Cougars have only lost in that scenario once um, under, under his four years. The, the other thing is, through four years, the, the thing with Kalani Satake is I haven't observed or seen things getting better. People have said, oh, well, he's recruiting better than everything before. Well, according to the people who do recruiting rankings and all that, not the case. Right about the same, even dropping. Uh, so it's not like the recruiting is, is so significantly better. Um 
The other part is is that, uh, Kalani doesn't seem to be the kind of guy. And by the way, most college football coaches aren't this. So, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to go out and win you a game because of his scheme or because of his adjustments or or any of those things. What we've observed is is that BYU comes in, they have what they have, and then they have to they have to execute on that. The the game of adjustments, or we came in with this thing and the other side can't figure it out, and and all that that doesn't happen. Okay, that's not a BYU thing. That that is only reserved for for very very top end high end uh, coaches. And you know honestly BYU was lucky that they've ever had a guy like that, and they had it in Lavelle Edwards. So, I mean, Lavelle ended up winning a national championship. There's a reason that he continued to win, and and more particularly, he was doing things from a game plan standpoint that was so exciting and interesting to the bright young minds of college football that, you know, people in the coaching circles, they they would flock to Provo, Utah, to try to work a little bit with – with uh, Bronco Mendo, or excuse me, with Lavelle Edwards, and and to learn from him and to get under that. Mike Leach still credits uh, so much of what he does and his interest in the college football game to Lavelle Edwards and 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 being able to see the game differently with Lavelle. The, the Cougars have had a guy like that. Bronco wasn't that guy. Bronco was was good, but he wasn't the sort of he's not the sort of guy to make the whole difference. The, the, the Bronco thing is, is that he does achieve um, a level of play week in, week out, no matter who it is. Uh, they, 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 they're, <laughs> this is what the team is. They're going to play at that level. They're going to go out. They're going to play at that level. They're going to be a tough out. And if you beat them, congratulations to you. Um, and it's always the same. And so that used to be frustrating too because you'd play Utah and you'd say, come on, man. Some games are more important than other games, and Bronco kind of used to eschew that sort of philosophy. So that 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 whole thing kind of did used to rub us all wrong because we wanted to beat the University of Utah. We desperately wanted to put those guys away, and we couldn't do it. So uh, anyway, that's sort of the Bronco thing. The last part then here is, is we're looking at um, and, and, and by the way, it also explains why like Bronco doesn't have a coaching tree. <laughs> like he, nobody came in and worked with Bronco Mendenhall and then went out and was able to spread their wings and became something like he's just a workhorse guy that that is going to get his players to show up and play at a certain level. And um, and they will play at that level all the time. And it then comes down to what sort of players you have. But. Bronco is not stealing you a game with his coaching. Kalani Satake is the same. He's not stealing you a game with coaching. The one difference between Kalani and Bronco in particular is that they um, Kalani plays up and he plays down. It's like the team can feel it. There's something that's going on with his coaching, with his style, with whatever it is that he's trying to do with this football team. It bleeds into the players because when they have a power five team in a hostile environment or they're not expected to, you know, they tend to to bring it and play up and be ready to go in those scenarios. There's been a couple of... Um, massive stinkers <laughs> okay uh the the game against michigan where we scored zero points the game against lsu where we didn't even cross the 50 yard line um 
there's a couple exceptions there. But the point is, is that typically they play up, and then when they play a team like like a UMass, you know, they lost at home to UMass, or they they play these teams that, um, you know, they play they they play uh, who was it South Florida last year and they lose. You know, they play Toledo and they and they lose. So, not that these are terrible teams, but teams that you would expect with BYU's tradition, then you lose. And right now, it's a fifty-fifty proposition. Uh, the so I just don't see. I don't really see schematically or what we're doing on the field or formation-wise or game plan-wise or adjustment-wise. He's not a game different. He doesn't make the difference in these games. He, he just doesn't. Um, and and the other issue is, is that it's awesome to have a team that's super prepared some weeks, but it's really horrible to have a team that looks super unprepared and disinterested some weeks. And that's the Kalani Satake thing. The one place that I would say that Kalani has improved as a coach um, and... and w- it's it's just been a slight thing is is that he early on used to be a massively huge risk taker um and would take kind of kind of really 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 big swings with his play calling and and some of the risks he was willing to take that has calmed down uh over the last couple of years it's not as crazy and yet there are still a, a whole lot of kind of um Let's go for it. Let's try to drive some momentum. We're going to go for it on fourth down. We're going to have, and there's been times where it's changed games. And, you know, when you take a big risk, if it pays off, the benefit is pretty big, right? And, and then if it doesn't pay off, the, the benefit is, is, is that it hurts you. And to me, you know, those big risks pay off, let's say half the time. And that's how you end up. Uh, with an average of 6.85 wins a year and 6.25 losses a year. That's how you end up being 27 and 25 after four seasons uh, at a place like BYU. And um, and yet, uh, he got extended. And, and we are looking at uh, more time with Kalani Satake. The players wanted him here. Uh, the fans like him. Uh, he's a, I, I think he's a good egg. He's a really good dude. And, uh, ultimately there isn't a whole lot there to replace him with. If we wanted to look in a different direction, which is a massive factor. And, um, and the other thing is, is that as, as long as you win, uh, seven, seven or eight games, you're, you're going to be fine. And, uh, if you, you can't, but the, the thing is, is if he drops to a losing record, if he has multiple losing seasons, if he has consecutive losing seasons, I do think that a change would be made and it wouldn't totally be shocking to me if BYU saw a couple lean years on that though, <laughs> it brings us back to 2020. I kind of feel like 2020 kind of gets it's going to get thrown out the window, right? It's like a non-traditional year. We're going to have two road games and six at home. Oh, I have one other thing that I want to cover real quick on the schedule. Um, there's a rumor. This isn't reporting. I don't know for sure. Okay. Just just a rumor. 
just a little, just a little, mm, little, little juicy rumor. Uh, there, another team that's rumored to be scheduled is going to be North Texas, the Mean Green of North Texas. Uh, the rumor is is that they're looking to play, and they have an open date on October third, and that lines up with BYU, and so maybe North Texas will come in. And uh, it will have a nine-game schedule. The other thing is, is they're trying to find spots in in November. It's really hard to find spots in November. So I, I, they, the the lip services is that they're trying to get to twelve games. I do think that they might add one more in that uh, that first week of October. But being able to find a game in November against you know uh, an FBS team is going to be extremely difficult. So I don't know that, and most FCS schools aren't aren't playing, and so yeah, I don't I don't really see them getting to twelve. I actually think nine is the max that they're going to look at this year. So this is going to put a whole wrench into how we evaluate things and using kind of some of the traditional numbers and remembering. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be <laughs> puts a puts a little bit of a wrench into things uh, as always. So, okay, that's the big narrative as it relates to Kalani Satake. Um, we're back with Elisa Tuiaki. We're back with Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes is in his – he's done two seasons. This will be year number three as the offensive coordinator for the Cougars. Elisa Tuiaki has been here for four. He's going in to his fifth season. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Jeff Grimes, his offense last year, 64th in America – as it relates to Fermau's efficiency index, okay? Um, a 64th offense out of 130. Again, right smack dab in the average. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, let's go through uh, my big thing about Jeff Grimes and, and something to think about over the last couple years. There's been a little trends, just a little bit of trends. And I know that this is a little bit weighted, um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But we're just talking about play calling and balance and, and, and what we're doing as a team and, and where we tend to be successful. <clears throat> Over Jeff Grimes' two season as being the offensive coordinator, the Cougars are 9-3 and three when they have 29 pass attempts or less. So the less they throw, they go 9-3. and three. If they have 30 pass attempts or more, they're 5-9. and nine. As it relates to rushing, when they have 39 rush attempts or less, so when they run less, 6 and 9, and when they run more, 40 rush attempts or more, they're 8 and 3. So now, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of weight issue there because obviously when you're winning, you're trying to run out the clock, when you're losing, you're trying to catch up and, and gain chunk yardage. So I get that that is part of the part of the deal. Um, but it is it tends to be the case that the Cougars are more successful under Jeff Grimes if they're running the football more than they're passing. This gets backed up by Zach Wilson's numbers. If Zach Wilson has thrown in his in his uh, 16 games, as a starter, 
Zach Wilson has had four games where he's attempted 25 passes or less. In all four of those games, the Cougars were victorious. If Zach Wilson attempts 26 passes or more, the Cougars are 4-8. and eight. So maybe it's a Zach Wilson thing because I will just point out briefly in the, in the quarterback battle that Baylor Romney, in his two starts, had more than 26 attempts and he went 2-0. and So it's not necessarily the rule that if you pass a lot, you can't win. It may just be that with Zach Wilson as the main guy, as your personnel guy pulling the trigger back there, the Cougars are more benefited the more that we run the football. I don't know. I don't know. Okay? But uh, that that is sort of what we're looking at with, with Jeff Grimes. That would be kind of the main thing that I'd look at is I took issue last year, and I have for two years. Zach Wilson came in and was instantly looked at as the next great Cougar quarterback um, and was expected to be the kind of player – that could be such a playmaker that you could win football games by making him the guy to go and and make those plays and win your football games. And that is just not what we've seen through two seasons is that outside of the uh, Idaho Potato Bowl, you really can't count on Zach Wilson. <laughs> he, he can't be the main guy for you to win. Zach Wilson's 8-8. Eight and eight. He's 500 as well in his in his starts so I think I think it's you know fascinating to me that Zach Wilson's kind of been painted in this spot now I think he's going to be the starting quarterback I'm I'd be shocked if he didn't end up being the starting quarterback here um I just don't I just don't see that happening the the two big things that I wanted to cover on Zach Wilson is um with everything kind of put on his shoulders and him being relied upon to run the football and then to pass the football. And again, the more he's passed the football, the more likely the Cougars are to lose. Um, just a couple things. He's had lots of high attempt games. Um, and yet in his 16 starts, the Cougars have only had 300 yards passing in three of his 16 games. So 300 is a really it's a it's a good passing day. It's an above average passing day. Things went well through the air. Okay, uh, you can only say that about three of his 16 starts. The other the other thing this is a this is a Cougar Cast thing. This is a T-shirts thing. I've gone through through all of the game logs going all the way back to 1976. I've taken a, a close look and examination at that. And there's two. Magic numbers for the BYU football program when it comes to its quarterbacks. Here they are. You need to have your quarterback have a QB rating, a passer rating, greater than 130. It's the, it's the big number, one, a 130 quarterback rating. And the other big number, this is the stat that is most associated, most closely correlated with winning and losing football games. The higher it is, the more more likely you are to win. The lower it is, the more likely you are to lose. It's yards per pass attempt. Yards per attempt is the single closest correlation to winning and losing 
Uh, not It's not turnover. It's not turnover margin. It's actually yards per attempt. What's one quarterback's yard per attempt? What's the other quarterback's yard per attempt? You're likely to figure out who the winner is. Um, yards per attempt. And that number is seven yards per attempt. If you are above seven yards per attempt and have a passer rating greater than 130, you typically, in, in almost every scenario, actually not almost, in all of those scenarios, you have been allowed to continue to be the starting quarterback at BYU. If you drop beneath a 130 quarterback rating and you have less than seven yards per attempt, you get benched. That rule has been true for every single quarterback in relation to their performance since Lavelle Edwards became the head coach of the program, okay? From 1976 onwards, that has been the golden rule of quarterback evaluation. 130 QB rating, 7 yards per attempt. If you're doing better than both of those, you get to continue to be the starting quarterback. If you dip below those, you should get benched. We should be able to find somebody else that can do that better. There's only one exception, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill has been the only one who, in the history, and and, and as far back as the game logs go, he's the only one who wasn't benched when his passing was beneath 130. So how does this relate to Zach Wilson? It's real simple. Zach Wilson's numbers, okay, over his career through 18 starts, excuse me, through his 16 starts where he's 8-8, and He's at a 131 passer rating and a 7.2 yards per attempt. I mean, he is right, right, barely above our golden rule numbers. He's in range. It wouldn't be wild if you looked in a different direction. In fact, it may be even justified to say that if you're right on that threshold number, it's really quite possible we could find somebody else that's going to do a better job for us. In reference to that, Jaron Hall did do that against Utah State. He had numbers greater than 130 and greater than seven yards per attempt against Utah State. He was below that in his uh, first start in his career against South Florida. He's also a fantastic athlete, athlete, but injury prone. So who knows? Okay. The other one is Baylor Romney was well above both of those numbers. He crushed it in his two games, starting against uh, Boise State and handing Boise State their only loss last season in a 12-1 year. Uh, Baylor Romney was outstanding. And then uh, against Liberty, he was extremely efficient once again. And when he came in in the second half of the Utah State football game, he racked up really, really good numbers. Uh, So he was always very well above the 130 and seven yards per attempt. So there might be something there with him too. So how long do you tolerate a quarterback who doesn't produce at the same level that you've actually been able to observe the other guys do in multiple outings? It's, it's worth some thought and some consideration. This shouldn't be as much of a slam dunk for Zach Wilson as it seems to be. And yet, This is where we are. I think Zach Wilson will be the quarterback for the Cougars, and I think it's really put up or shut up time for Zach Wilson. If 
he really is going to be the future of the program, he can't live on one perfect day where he went 18 for 18 against Central Michigan. He, he has to be the kind of guy that goes out there and puts up really solid numbers and gives the Cougars a greater than a 50% chance to win. And so far, that's all we're getting from him. Now, as it relates to Jeff Grimes, I think it's interesting to go back and just take a look at the way that he did play calling for Zach Wilson versus the way he did play calling for Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney. He took out more of the more the more complex, the more kind of fluid offensive um, schemes when it was Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney. <laughs> for Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney, it looked very clear cut. These are your routes receivers, offensive line. This is who you're supposed to block. Okay. This is the concept. Go out. This is your responsibility. Go and execute. That's what they had. It was more straightforward. With Zach Wilson, they've been doing more run-pass option, which is more fluid, which adjusts to whatever uh, uh, shifts are made defensively, uh, whatever whatever uh, <laughs> you do. You're supposed to change your alignment based on things that you're seeing before the snap, and wide receivers need to see the same things that the quarterback are seeing, and the offensive line needs to see. Football knowledge uh, out of everybody on the field rather than just this is your assignment and go get it done it's just a little bit more complicated with zach wilson they're trying to give him the really complicated uh thing basically it's you know the difference between a, a, an automatic transmission and a and a manual transmission and even that isn't a good enough illustration of of what the difficulty is between one versus the other i'd love to see zach wilson given the more basic looking offense and I'd love to see him get the opportunity to have to literally just make one or two reads rather than try to digest all this stuff and hope that everything kind of comes together I'd, I'd rather simplify things for him I, I just don't think I just think there needs to be a reevaluation of the kind of kid we got that's it um, the other thing with the the general trend with with Jeff Grimes when they've passed less They've won more. When they've run more, they've won more. When they've passed more, they've lost more. And when they've run less, they've lost more. So it, that was a very confusing thing. The point is, is they should run the football more over the last two years. The more they run the football, the more likely they are to win. You need to get 40 rushes or more. And to me, the fact that they're 8-3 and three when they've run 40, the ball 40 times or more, the fact that they're 8-3 and three in those scenarios – that speaks such incredible volumes to me because I look at who's been the quarter, the, the running back, you know, who's been Jeff Grimes' running back squad. And, and it's not exactly, you, you know, he's not working with Luke Staley here or, or Harvey Unger or Jamal, okay? He, he's working with Emmanuel Asupa, <laughs> right? He, he's, he's, he's got Lupini Katoa, Squally. Squally was fine. Right? I mean, you're never going to be bouncing your kid on your knee going, oh, yeah, Squally Canada. <laughs> you know? Um, Sione Finau. So, um, the Tyson Williams was good, but he got hurt. The, the point is, is that it, <clears throat> it, it, it's not like we've had these elite level running backs. It's, it's just, you know, crank it. Run the ball. 
establish that identity and go with it. It, it, it plays to what the strengths of, of what his scheme is, in my opinion. I think that if they run more, they're going to win more football games. And I know it'll be hard to commit to that with, with who you have as your running core this year. Um, you know, Sione Finau looked pretty good last year. I liked him. I thought he had a good a good year last year, uh, Speedy. Lupini Katoa, uh, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. That That's kind of the main thing I really see with him is, is doing like little circle routes and having Lupini Katoa kind of help you in that way. Uh, Jackson McChesney, the one-game wonder. He, he got to keep his red shirt, and yet he also, you know, ran for over 200 yards in a game. Uh, maybe, maybe they're going to let him loose. The one thing with Jackson McChesney is, is I, you know, they, they went through such, um, pains to make sure that they kept his red shirt. We had all of those injuries last year and we're entering into this football season and it's not, the door hasn't been shut. It's not like, oh, well, it's definitely Jackson McChesney. Okay, or oh well, he's definitely getting a lot of carries, or it's committee and 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 Jackson McChesney though is going to be you know one of our our top guys. It's like it's they've left it really wide open. It might be Tyler Algier, okay. It might be Sione Finau and Lopini Katoa and Jackson McChesney's in the mix. Well, how good can the kid be if he hasn't separated himself from that group? Really good running backs separate them when it was Jamal. It was always Jamal. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's my concern there. One of the other things I worry about coming into the season is I do think it's a little bit worrying that uh, the Cougars don't return a single player. Not one. Not, not a single player is coming back that ranked in the top 40 in any traditional stat category. Not one. The closest to sniffing those uh, and getting to that area is Jake Oldroyd for his field goals made. Okay, he is the highest returning guy, and if 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 BYU's future and how good they are and their wins and losses is more determined by the quality of player they have than it is by the coaching staff, it is worrying that they don't have a massive, big-time, game-breaking kind of player. There's just nothing that's there, and I don't see who's emerging. We haven't heard of the guy who's going to come in and plant his flag and say, I'm ready to make some plays for this team. That hasn't happened. We haven't seen it. I hope that we get a nice surprise. Who knows where that may come from? Uh, From the running backs, though, we're not hearing anything except for, well, there's a lot of guys that can hand it off and that we feel okay with handing the football off to. So let's take a look at the wide receivers. And the question once again remains, all right, who's going to break out of this group? All right, Gunnar Romney, highly, highly, highly touted coming in. Um, where he's had uh, two good seasons, but nothing to make you um, go, well, he's definitely a number one guy. All right. The guy I like the most for the wide receivers is Dax Milne. I think that he's a, a tough receiver. He's a possession guy. He did some punt return last year. He seems to find his way open. And when the ball gets near him, he likes to go and grab that football. He squeezes it. He, he doesn't miss many that come his way. If the ball's on and it's 
tight window or whatever. He seems to have whatever that is, the focus, the grit, whatever it is. He goes and gets the ball. I really like Dax Milne. Uh, but does he have – I mean, Gunnar Romney's got like the number one – receiver kind of um athletic makeup but we haven't seen it in terms of production or his ability to kind of dictate or dominate or or change the way that defenses have to play he he's not forcing any any adjustments that's what i mean the true sign of a of a guy that that's a big time guy is they force adjustments if you're getting ready for BYU i'll tell you, i'll tell you one thing Ken Niamatololo is doing right now he's not getting things together and looking at his guys going like, well, we, we got to come up with certain special schemes to handle Gunnar Romney. Right. Uh, so Gunnar Romney, Dax Milne, uh, Neil Pau is back. Maybe, maybe can get some things done in the, uh, in the slot. Um, a big receiver, six, four to uh, 15. They've used him on like bubble screens. I've always been surprised at that. That feels like a, a Dax Milne spot to me. And then there's a, a whole, a whole ton of unknowns. A lot of people like Luke Andrada. He uh, will be wearing number 30 this season. He's a freshman, and he is super-duper speedy. Uh, I think he was a track guy, and and uh, he's a fast. He's a fast, so we'll see. Uh, there's a guy named Miles Davis, and uh, kind of blue. That's the color of his uniform. Ba-doom, 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 ba <laughs> Poor guy. I'm sure he gets that all the time. Miles Davis. Uh, and then, uh, uh, yeah, again, a whole collection of guys that, uh, who knows. The one that I kind of have my eye on, because I think it's um, fun, Hobbs Nyberg. Hobbs Nyberg is uh, on the BYU baseball team. He's played center field. He and um, Jaron Hall covered a lot of center field for the BYU baseball team. So, quick... Good athletes. Uh, Hobbs Nyberg's a pretty good hitter, even. Uh, and he's got some football pedigree in him. His uh, dad was a safety uh, for BYU in the 90s, uh, Bryce Nyberg. So, anyway, we like that. Uh, so, there you go. I, I think those are guys to kind of look for. I, You know, there's that. Tight end-wise, obviously, Matt Bushman is back. Here's the thing with Matt Bushman. He is, uh, he's, he's a really good football player. He's got three seasons of over 500 yards receiving. The, the guys that have ever done that at BYU, the list of players that have ever done that, it's extremely small. Dennis Pitta, Cody Hoffman, and Austin Colley. And yet, even though Matt Bushman is in that group, it doesn't feel like he's in that group, does it? Like he's not a he's not a Cody Hoffman, uh, Austin Collie, you know. He's he's not a Dennis Pitta. <laughs> he's not changing. It's like if I said to you, close your eyes and think of the great Matt Bushman play. It's really hard to think of one, right? Like one time he he made a catch on a on a ball that got batted, and he happened to be in the right spot, and then it, it was a big. But that that wasn't like. Matt Bushman being like super duper elite, but he does qualify for the team's account for him rule. So I'll give him credit. Uh, I think Matt Bushman is, is, is really good. I'd love to see him actually have a, have a like, well, the Cougars (laughs) scored 
you know, uh, 35 or 40 points that game because Matt Bushman was a monster, right? Uh, just there, like he's kind of a workhorse guy. He gets 60 yards there. He's get he gets another 50 yards there, another 60 yards there. Like, you know, very rarely does he have these like massively big, you know, breakout games. I'd like to see that from him. Hopefully that does happen. Um, but again, you know, to expect things that, that haven't happened before when we watched them for three years, that's it's kind of foolhardy, isn't it? Uh, other guys, there are a ton of tight ends on this team because if you remember, um, Ty Detmer offered all these scholarships to a ton of tight ends because he wanted to go two tight end sets a lot. He wanted to do a ton of two tight end sets. And so uh, they, they have a, a whole lot of them. Uh, so, you know, we got Hank and Ben Tuipolotu, the, their brothers, Mason Wake, Carter Wheat. He played a little, uh, Mason Wake played last year. Uh, Isaac Rex, son of Byron Rex. I, I like, I like Byron Rex. He was, a, a he threw a touchdown pass against Utah once in the, in the snowball game when the Utah fans were throwing snowballs at the, uh, BYU players up in Salt Lake. Uh, the game winning touchdown was thrown by Byron Rex. Uh, so yeah, they, they, anyway, and I, Kyle Griffiths and then, you know, there's even more. So none of those guys will really matter. It's, it should be Matt Bushman all day, every day. Okay. And then the other problem with all these other guys is that there's the, uh, there's the kid that's on his mission whose name is, uh, escaping me, but he was great as a freshman. <laughs> He's not on the team this year. So we'll move on. Uh, offensive line-wise, look, one of the things that the Cougars have been a lot of buzz about this team, and, you know, they've got all that experience on the offensive line. Uh, the Cougars' uh, offensive line is so experienced, and, the, boy, they're awfully good. Well, okay. Going back to our friends at footballoutsiders.com, if you can check out their uh, offensive line stats, some pretty interesting stuff. Um, so he- here's where they were and they return everybody they return everybody so uh, a couple things the on run blocking okay there's an advanced stat called line yards which basically measures out how many yards per carry the offensive line is responsible for okay how much of a difference did the offensive line make and how many yards per carry are they responsible for uh when 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 the team runs the cougars ranked 42nd last year in line yards, 2.69 yards per carry, 42nd, and that bad. That's pretty. That's pretty good. It's, it's yeah. Uh, that's the good news. The bad news on uh, runs of third and two or less. So third and short or fourth and short on runs of third and two or less or fourth and two and less. The Cougars were able to get a first down in those scenarios. 65% of the time, that's 94th nationally. 94th nationally. 65% of the time. That means one out of three times we're not, <laughs> we're not getting it done with two yards out and a handoff. Okay? That's not good enough. The offensive line has to be better than that. The, the, with all the experience and, and all that, they got to do better and be 94th on, on power runs. Okay. So power runs, success rate, 
not not going great. Uh, they they get stuffed uh, quite a bit, which leads me to the next one: is, is the percentage of runs that BYU took last year that were stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. Okay, fifteen point eight percent, almost sixteen percent, almost sixteen percent of every run. And I just uh, said the Cougars should run more and more and more. Okay, but almost sixteen percent. Oh, you know. It's like oh, like one in six, right? Is stuffed, stopped at or before the line of scrimmage. That is twenty fourth in America. That's a bad one, even though the number is low. Twenty four means of all the other teams in America, the Cougars were stuffed <laughs> uh, the twenty fourth most. Okay, out of everybody in the country, that's not a good number for this offensive line that everyone's so thrilled with. How about pass blocking stats? It's not looking great there on Football Outsiders. The uh, BYU offense line ranked 70th in sack rate. They were sacked on 6.3% of downs. On passing downs, anytime it was eight yards or more, and it was a later down, on passing downs, that rate went up. 8.9% of the time the Cougars were sacked on a passing down that was 89th in the country. So the much vaunted offensive line, okay, was like the top third in America in line yards and, and how much they helped gain yards per carry. So that's good news. But then they were among the bottom fourth, okay? <laughs> They're among the very worst. They're like 90th or worse, okay? I guess 70th or worse. Uh, 70th in sack rate. That's, that's the good one. But 90th or worse in their ability to avoid getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage or before the line of scrimmage. They're horrible on third and short or fourth and short. And uh, they allow a lot of sacks. And the fact that when you know it's all pass protect on a passing down and the blitz is coming, they do uh, uh, not a very good job on that. 88 teams in America did a better job than, than this, this offensive line. So uh, things to think about. But again, there's lots of really good offensive linemen. A um, lot, of, lot of things to really like there. A lot of people are high on Brady Christensen, the tackle. Blake Freeland's a newer face, good basketball player. Uh, and then, you know, you have Tristan Hodge and, uh, and, and Keanu Saliapega and the Unatoas. And, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of talent there. Empey, okay? There's, there's lots of guys that can do it. Uh, Barrington, Clark Barrington, um, he, he should be able to, to help out this year as well. So, anyway... That is the offensive line for the Cougars. The, the nuts and bolts of it is, is that the Cougar, the Cougar offense did the following really well last year. Really well. They were able to move the ball pretty well. Okay? They, were, they, they actually ranked 10th in America in the percentage of, of, of their drives that ended up in a first down or a touchdown. Okay, meaning you at least didn't go three and out. Okay, avoiding a three and out, the Cougars avoided a three and out on 81.5% of all of their drives last year. That was best 
for that uh, for tenth in America on that. So they moved the chains uh, a lot. Okay, only nine teams were more uh, capable of getting a first down or a touchdown right away than the Cougars were. So that's a, a really big number. The other one that they had is uh, the percentage of the available yards that they could gain based on their starting field position, which is another uh, very common, like it's this, it's an advanced stat, but basically where did you start on the, on the field? If you started at the 50 yard line, uh, the Cougars were gaining 53.2% of whatever available yards that they needed to get. So if they're on their own 80, typically they were getting at 45 yards up the field. That's the average through the year. That's actually 22nd in America. So they moved the football and they moved the chains pretty well last year offensively. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Um, here's where it kind of went wrong. 12.6% uh, of all their drives ended in turn turnover. That's 87th nationally. Okay. They had 12% of their drives end with zero or negative yards. That's 70th nationally. Okay. The other problem is, is they weren't very exp explosive. They were middle of the plaque, middle of the pack um, uh, in that. Uh, the other one is, is uh, this is where it was truly bad, was red zone efficiency. The Cougar offense was 120th in red zone efficiency. They scored just 73.3% of the times they got within 20 yards of the goal line. Um their touchdown red zone efficiency, they only scored 51.7% of the time. They only got it in the end zone, 51.7% of the time. <laughs> so you think about all the times you cross the 20-yard line, you've only got 20 more yards to go to score some points and to get six points on the board, and uh, we're only doing it 51.7% of the time. That's 170th, sorry, 107th nationally. Not good enough. Red zone efficiency was really, really poor last year. They just didn't punch it in when they when they had a lot of opportunities to do it. Um, and, and to be 120th in overall red zone efficiency speaks to the lack of getting in the end zone and then what ended up being a, a really inconsistent season from Jake the Make, kick and field goals, okay? If you want to just get that down, Jake, the makes field goal accuracy last year was 66.7%. That's 87th of all kickers in college football last year. That's not great. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the biggest issue is, is that they were, they were poor in the red zone and yet they got to it a lot and then were able to generate 28.5 points per game. That makes them the 67th scoring offense in America returning into the season. And basically the one main difference is they don't have a Leva Hifo. <laughs> so we kind of have the same group. Um, so 67th in scoring offense, really the, the way to improve that is just find a way to get it done in the red zone. And the question is, is, is can Jeff Grimes solve that puzzle this year? I think that's a big thing to wonder as we enter 2020 uh, and the 2020 football season. Uh, <clears throat> their rush offense was 68th in America last year, 159 yards per game. Okay. And again, I know this is going to be contrary to the initial thing that I said, but they actually were 26th in America in passing offense, which I know you're, you're feeling surprised about. Um, 26th in passing offense last year, 284.7 
yards per game, but that's going off of yards per game, right? They're 26th in passing offense as it relates to yards per game, which is a nice number, except when you look at yards per attempt, that number was 7.9 as a collective amongst all the quarterbacks and passing that happened for the Cougars last year, 7.9 yards per attempt. Uh, and that 7.9 yards per attempt number results in, right, uh, the Cougars being 44th in, in yards per attempt. Okay, so not terrible, not terrible. But the reason that they're higher in yards per game is because they're calling a lot of pass plays. They're, they're calling more than other teams. Uh, and so w- when you when you try to add all that up and and make some sense of that, yeah, la- last year I just looked it up. They were 24th nationally in pass attempts. Okay, 468 pass attempts last year. Um, so that's that that accounts for it, is, is they had a higher volume of it, and they were you know again they were fine in their yards per attempt overall. Um, and so again, they move the football big issue is uh, red zone efficiency, only 20 touchdown passes, 11 picks. Uh, it's just not getting it done. They got to find a way to score more points and, and, and really turn that offense into an asset. Uh, we haven't had a really like big asset offense where you thought, Oh, well, we're going to be in good shape because the other team is scared to put our offense on the field. We, we haven't had that since 2009, really. Not really. All right, let's move to the other side of the football. Let's talk about the defense. Elisa Tuiaki's defense has drawn a lot of criticism. Last year, it took a lot of heat because it didn't get very much pressure on the quarterback. It didn't make a lot of big plays. And yet, when it where it really kind of counts, it, it it came up pretty good. It was 48th in America in scoring defense. They gave up 25.5 points per game. That's fine. <laughs> it's not awesome, but it's fine. Um, 48th in America, uh, according to the uh, again Football Outsiders, uh, BYU's defense overall was 66th in America. Uh, all things considered. Uh, and, you know, the, the problem with what we've seen with the, with, with Elisa Tuiaki's, you know, scheme over, over his four years and what we've kind of seen is, look, over the past three years, the, the Cougars have only recorded two pick sixes. Okay? That's, that's pretty barren. Um, the, the defense is not a big playmaking defense. And when you, when you add in last year where they got even worse at sacks and tackles for loss, and then they weren't particularly good at big plays or forcing turnovers, um, they were just average at, at, at forcing turnovers last year. Opponents' drives opponents' drives ended in turnover ten point six percent of the time. That's sixty seventh in America. Um, they just didn't really have um, this incredible this incredible you know 
effort that 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 resulted in big plays and and made a big change uh, for the team. Uh, here's some of the overall numbers and 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 kind of trends to take a look at as it relates to the the BYU defense. Uh, one quarter, 25% of opponents' drives ended in touchdowns. That's 47th nationally. Okay. Uh, 69.7% of opponents' drives had at least a first down or a touchdown. So 30% of the time, the Cougars forced a three and out. Uh, that's not not too bad. 44th nationally. Okay. Uh, 46.6%. Uh, of the available yards were gained based on the opponent's st- starting field position. So that's middle of the pack, 63rd nationally. 10.6% of opponent's drives ended up with, with uh, explosive play, uh, 10 yards per play or better, uh, 31st uh, nationally. That's not a good number. That that one is not, you don't want to be high on that one, okay? So they gave up a lot of big plays, there uh you know almost 11% of all the drives that the, their opponents had ended up having uh, an average yard per play of 10 yards or better a first down every single time they snap the football that is not good uh for that to happen uh a tithing of it almost a little better than that okay uh 8.3% of opponents drives ended with zero or negative yards. Again, we're talking about big plays, sacks, tackles for loss. 8.3% ended with zero or negative yards, where they just stuff the drive and everything went terribly. 104th nationally in that. That's not great. Okay. And then again, they didn't force a lot of uh, turnovers. How did they do in the red zone defensively? Um, what, what was their work in the red zone? Um, opponents scored 80% of the time they were in the red zone. So, uh, they put, if a team got within the 20, they got on the scoreboard four out of five times. Uh, that's 37th nationally. Uh, that's, that's a decent number. Okay. Uh, 80 or, uh, 50, 57.8% of opponents trips ended in a touchdown. Okay. That's 54th. So they're, the touchdown rate that they give people up, they gave up, uh, again, middle of the pack there. A little bitter. But. So uh, at the end of it all, it results in them being 48th in scoring defense, 78th in rush defense, and 5th in pass defense. And, of course, that kind of adds up. 78th in rush defense, 64th, 65th in pass defense. That kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Um, because when you are rushing three and dropping eight <laughs> in every scenario and in almost every single game last year, they decided to just drop back, play coverage and, uh, really zone it up and, and, uh, and try to put a lot of bodies back and then rally to the football and, you know, try to make it hard and extend drives. Look, we've had this conversation lots of times. Most college football teams can't put together very many 10-play 80-yard drives. And and that is what Elisa Tuiaki's thesis here is, is that along the way, there's going to be a holding, right? There's going to be some penalty that is going to, you know, a false start, something that's going to really hinder that offense. 
and then and then we're going to be all right right we're going to we're going to try to make them chip at it and chip at it and chip at it and if the over the course of 10 plays they're going to make a turnover they're going to have three in a row that don't work out okay they're not they're, they're not going to get it on third and short maybe um, they're going to have a penalty that that kills it all right we're going to have a mistake a fumble exchange something right um, and so so the whole point of of that whole thing is is you try not to give up a lot of big plays and as we just covered you know uh, 11% of their drives ended up with big plays <laughs> okay so um i think i think that they they were uh, the, that that is the thesis it's the theory and it resulted in 25.5 points on the scoreboard a game um which is totally totally fine if you have an offense that is going to score and on average the offense scored three more points than the defense so you know at, at the end of the year you end up 8 and 5 and 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 you're feeling good that margin that margin does enough to to get you to a bowl game and 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 there you go right uh but it leaves very very little room very little room for the offense to have a bad night and they're going to have bad nights. Um, and the thing I felt like with the scheme is it didn't really feel like the defense ever had a really good night because again, they don't make any big plays. Uh, they don't have a, a high turnover rate. They don't score defensive touchdowns. They're not doing these things to give the offense opportunities with short fields. Okay. That's just not happening with Elisa Tuiaki as your defensive coordinator. It's not something we've seen. And they're not changing field position. They, you know, their opponents are able to, to gain yards and to have, you know, um, to have some success before they punt or, or you get the ball back. But then your offense has got a big field in front of them to handle. So the, the defense is not really doing much um, to – to help the offense and and it's it is unfortunate but it feels like we need the defense to be doing things to help the offense because the offense has never been uh very good for Elisa Tuiaki so the the margin for error for him is is been a little bit higher because we've never been able to put together a, a real dynamic threat uh on the offensive side of the ball where you feel real comfortable with it. And so so the defense, you know, in my mind, has been passable. It's been f- fine under Elisa Tuiaki. It's boring. I think that's fair to say. I, the, You know, at the same time, it, it, is, it is the boring version of Broncos' Ben Don't Break. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's saying something, right? Broncos a defensive genius, sure, but it doesn't mean that his defenses were that, you know, fun to watch. Although, at least they called a freaking blitz. <laughs> so I I I I don't know what else to say. Like people can get upset about it, they can be angry with it, they might be bored with it. Uh, we wish that the defense might make a big play here or there and make a huge thing. The big play a defense might make is they might force a three and out. Okay, that's the thing. Or they might come up big in a moment where a team goes for it on fourth. 
Uh, all right, that, that, that's the sort of thing that we look at. So uh, let's give you the Football Outsiders stats on defensive line and how good they were. All right, and again, this is all going to look bad, and part of that is because it's it's you know you, you got three, and we're not the the goal is to play a little bit of contain, eat some blockers, and free up the men behind to go and rally the football and make that tackle. So. You know, the, these numbers are, are, are really poor. And the question is, 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 is it acceptable to have it purposefully kind of deflate what the defensive line can do in the name of trying to manage and put together, you know, a scoreboard that gets you 25.5 points per game defensively? Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, they went 8-5. and five. The question is, is if they're going to get better than 8-5, and five, I, th- I think the defense has to do more, has to do more, has to drive more uh, negative plays. They got to get more sacks. They got to make big plays. They got to score some touchdowns. Okay. They, they've really got to flip games. Really? Like they must, they must do this. Okay. And uh, until they do, um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> okay. We're going to, we're, we're in store for, for mediocrity town, but at least we get to go to a bowl game. All right, defensive line stats. So, again, like I said, they're going to be bad. <laughs> but run-stopping stats, okay? Opposing offensive lines, their line yards. Opposing offensive lines were able to gain 2.73 yards per carry against the Cougars. That made the defensive line 102nd in run-stopping as it relates to line yards last year. So... Not great. 102nd nationally is not good. 77th in uh, stuffing uh, people on the power run. So on third and short, fourth and short, the ability to stuff and stop the third and fourth, the third and short run or fourth and short run. 77th in America, 73.7% uh, of the time their opponents were able to get the first down. Uh, so it's about a one in four chance that the Cougars are actually going to stop the football. And that's called Kairos Tonga made the play. Um, nobody else. <laughs> All right. But 77th is why that goes up. But then they go back down. Look at this. Stuff rate. Okay. Stuff rate. Only 16.2% of runs. That's 107th nationally. Passing. Pass stopping uh, stats, their ability to get to the quarterback and get a sack. Uh, the Cougars were 112th in sack rate last year. 4.4% of all the plays defensively ended in a sack. 4.4%. 112th out of 130 teams. It's not terribly surprising given the, uh, the style play. 77th in passing down sack rate. Okay, so on downs where we know that they're definitely passing, third and long, okay? In those scenarios, 7.4% sack rate. It's uh, up three percentage points, which is quite a bit. But that only drives them up to 77th nationally, so below average once again. Not poor, but below average. So... What does this mean? Well, it means that we had uh, a Kafusi uh, tr- transfer and go to the University of Utah. You don't get recruited and you don't get chances to play in the NFL. It's really hard 
to get seen as a defensive end and, and get a chance to, to have a good film and, and, and make the NFL if your job is to play contain and uh, hold the pocket and keep the quarterback you know, in, don't let him scramble and, uh, and you know, don't sweep the lane. <laughs> Just hold your ground and, and play contain. Uh, and be di- disciplined in that way. It's just not not really a, a fancy thing. Uh, hence, uh, our best defensive end transfers and goes to the University of Utah. Uh, I, I think 100% that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Um, so for the, for, the defensive, for the defensive line, obviously, you know, um, we really like Kairos Tonga. I don't like that he's not able to be like an every-down guy. But when he's in, he's a monster. He's a beast. He's been awesome for, for three years. He's going to be awesome for a fourth. Um, uh, other guys that y- you really like uh, on the defensive line, guys that I think uh, can, can, can get after it on the defensive line. We, we saw a, a couple moments you know, from the defensive tackle spot. Bracken Albacri, I think, is doing... Everything that he's being asked to do, again, I think he's just eating dirt. He's getting his nose down. He's holding in and trying to command as many blockers as he can. Um, and honestly, if he's out there at the same time as Tonga and you have Bracknell Bakri going together or Zach Daw working with them, that, that trio of interior defensive linemen do a good job of at least commanding three every single time. So kudos to them. The, the real problem then is, is if you have your interior defensive linemen on a 4-3 alignment, if they're eating three out of the five defensive linemen, that means your tackles are going head-to-head with defensive ends. And again, we lost our best defensive end, uh, Kafusi. He, he transferred. And we're now looking at you know a player that I've always liked, always been hopeful about, Uriah Leotella. Uh, he's a senior now. Is this the year that it finally comes together? Again, the, the rule is always, nah, don't hold your breath. <laughs> right? And then we'll, we'll see who else comes out of it. Right? I mean, uh, uh, by the way, other interior defensive line, I'm just looking at it. There's a couple other ones that I like on here. Right? Mahe is a really good interior defensive lineman. I, I think he's going to be uh, good. Uh, when I've seen him, I've been... I've been you know, really pleased with what he's done. Lorenzo Fautea has been a, a really good interior defensive lineman. It's those it's those guys on the defensive end. They're the guys, right? What are you going to get out of uh, any of these players, right? <laughs> Wait and see. Wait and see, right? Um, we're just going to have to find out. Earl Mariner, maybe? Maybe. <laughs> right? I, I don't. Yeah. Maybe Alema Pelimai. Uh, he was highly regarded when he was recruited. Um, he's a second year back from his mission. Maybe, maybe we're gonna get something from him. Um, I, I mean, I, I truly don't feel like we have a guy right on the outside. Our, our best option is Uriah Leatawa. But it's something to look for. And see if we're gonna have, if we're gonna have something that, that really comes together on the on the outside. Those defensive ends, 
you know, and, and see if they get a chance to go. In, in the meantime, I think what you're going to see is, is more of these kind of beefier defensive ends and they're going to put them on the outside and let them, let them try to hold their ground. You know, um, we just haven't seen, we haven't seen, you know, the, the scheme facilitate that sort of movement. Now linebackers, um, Obviously, we we we've got a couple really good linebackers. Chaz Ayu, I think, uh, again, he didn't make big plays, so it, it went kind of unheralded. But Chaz Ayu had quietly a really really strong season last year, and he got better and better each week. I expect Chaz Ayu to be really tremendous for the Cougars this coming year. Uh, the next two years of Chaz Ayu should be outstanding honestly highly recruited he started to get more comfortable out there you saw him improve you saw him start to make uh smarter reads quicker recognition uh all of those things uh he he's a dude man Chaz Ayu is really good uh other guys talk about Kavika Fanua is back uh can I interest you in Kavika Fanua yeah he's fine right um Isaiah and Jackson Kafusi still with the Cougars uh, like like that combination, um, Isaiah Kafusi has been really, really good. Jackson Kafusi, I'm sure will be because I mean he's a Kafusi, he's a Kafusi. Uh, the other two guys that I, I really wanted to cover um, that I thought you know really showed stuff last year. Obviously, the the only guy that had some playmaking last year was Peyton Wilger. Uh, Peyton Wilger was fantastic. Uh, uh, he had interceptions. He seemed to make plays right when you needed him. He, he, he was a really good player last year as a freshman. I, I really like him at that linebacker spot. And, uh, again, I hope that you see him become a playmaker. The other guy who kind of grew in his role was Max Tooley. Uh, Tooley was just back from his mission last year, um, and he began to take on um, – more and more responsibility as the season went on. I'm curious to see as he enters his sophomore season if we're going to see Max Tooley a whole lot more. I do think we will, and I do think he will be uh, productive. Th- those are the main guys. You're going to see a lot of Chaz Ayu, Kavika Fanua. You're going to see a lot of Isaiah Kafusi. You're going to see a lot of Peyton Wilger, Max Tooley, and I think probably you know um, maybe Keenan Peely. Right, and I think that's probably going to be your your two deep on the on the linebacker line. Uh, oh, excuse me, I, I feel like a, a dummy. But they they also kind of use they shift him from defensive back to linebacker. That's kind of why I forgot him. But Zane Anderson as well. Zane Anderson, uh, very effective player. I think that they can use him more at defensive back. I, I think I, I don't know. Well, they'll they'll make those those choices as they go along. But I think, you know, um, it, it really depends on how much Max Tooley can take on I, I, as a sophomore. If he can come in and, and do some of the work, they're, they're kind of similar players. They've got similar builds. And, yeah, I, that, that, that's kind of the, the key there. The key there. But uh, th- those would be like the, the six or seven that I think you're going to see a lot of. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to get those six or seven linebackers. Uh, and then when you look at the, the defensive backs and, and what you're going to see 
uh, on the outside with with your defensive backs. Uh, Malik Moore is back, uh, maybe a, an option there. Uh, Chris Wilcox has been a pretty good uh, corner. Obviously, I, Isaiah Heron has been a good uh, guy out there as well. You also, you know, D'Angelo Mandel, uh, personal foul aside against the University of Utah, uh, been pretty effective on on the outside. Then, then you might see on the ins- uh, at safety, like we said, you might see uh, Zane Anderson. You may also see Troy Warner. Sounds like he's going in inside into into being a safety and, and kind of working from those those spots. Um, there's a little buzz around Keenan Ellis. You might see some work from him. Uh, and and yeah, I mean that, that's kind of what you're looking with. They haven't. They, it's kind of weird. They, 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 it feels like we have more guys that we feel good about at, at corner than we do at the safety spots. But as long as, you know, Troy Warner stays healthy, I think he'll be a, a good free safety. And then if you, this is why I kind of like the idea of leaving Zane Anderson back as the strong safety. Um, and then obviously, you know, playing that nickelback spot and, and trying to cover that, there'll, there'll be a lot of people. I think, I think Chris Wilcox um, is, is somebody that I would really think of to try to fight in the middle. There is six six foot two, um, strong, fast. I, I think I think he's a guy that that might be able to to do some some work in there. And then also the the other one is a uh, Shimon Willis is coming in. Um, Jamal Willis's boy. He he comes in from Weber State. He's played some big time football at Weber State. He's got tremendous experience playing at, at Weber State. He'll come in. And I think that he has a potential um, to come in. So th- they have a lot of a lot of guys. But again, it, it's the same thing I was kind of saying about the running back scenario, the the wide receiver scenario. Like it's a little alarming. It's a little alarming that you look at the offensive side of the ball, and the only place that you feel like is a slam dunk is Matt Bushman. That's his spot. Let's not worry about anything and let's move on. Okay. And I, and a couple of the offensive linemen defensively, you only feel that, you know, Zane Anderson's going to be on the field. Chaz, I is going to be on the field and you're going to have, uh, and, and then you're going to have Kyrus Tonga. He's going to be on the field. So long as he's not tired, <laughs> but he, again, he's, it's kind of, he'll be a monster. I mean, I don't know. The, the point is for him to be an every, every down guy. I mean, that's probably unrealistic. It, it is unrealistic. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think that, but I, when you look at the DBs, it, it's kind of a problem that you just, nobody has slammed it, slammed it. Nobody has said, this is my, this is my job. <laughs> I'm holding it down. I'm that dude that just hasn't happened. And, and so you, you really would love to <laughs> love to see somebody claim it and take it and make it their own. Um, maybe that'll happen as the year goes on. Um, but you know, you're going to, you're going to see a lot of people get a lot of chances. And I think that, uh, hopefully they'll, they'll quickly recognize who, who the right guy is to get in there. You know, although maybe it's not so bad to have, it's not bad to have depth, but I also think we have depth at the cost of kind of that top, guy 
And, and that's the concern. That's the concern. And, and we have that on both sides. Uh, let's just talk about uh, special teams quickly. Um, <clears throat> Skylar Southam left the Cougars. Um, so we're back to it's just Jake Oldroyd. Uh, he was in, you know, inflappable for a little bit. I love Jake Oldroyd. I was all over it. I, I just loved him so much. And then he, you know, started missing kicks and, you know, uh, didn't have fun with his nickname. And, and it's like he, he, you could see like the, I don't know. He, I think he had a weird year last year. Hopefully he can like tune all that out and just be his like own guy and become a really consistent, you know, kicker. They haven't had him handle kickoff responsibilities. They had Skylar Southam doing it. Skylar Southam was not good as a kickoff specialist. Um, so maybe Justin Smith, who they've brought in, he's a freshman. Maybe, maybe we're going to see him get some work on kickoff. Uh, they haven't relied on Jake Olroyd for, for that line of work. Uh, Punting-wise, where I, again... Uh, we're looking at Jake Olroyd uh, as a as a punter, and and working that side of the ball, um, and, and punting for us. He was fine. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also brought in Ryan Rakow as a punter. Uh, Olroyd is trying to take on both, and it says on the on the roster chart. That Justin Smith is also a punter. I would suspect that we're going to see Jake Oldroyd on both sides, but I, I actually, to, to be honest, with all the madness that's gone on, reading about BYU special teams is not really something I've spent that much time on. The one note I'll make, BYU ranked 104th in special teams overall last season. So... Uh, was not an asset for the Cougars last year. Punting, kicking, punt return, kick return, wasn't an asset. Uh, in fact, maybe even hurt us. 104th <laughs> nationally. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, obviously you want to see Jake Olroyd be very consistent and very strong there and, and, and do better than hitting two out of three. So, uh, there you go. Okay, all three phases of the game are required to get better. I think the future of Cougar football is built on, on being able to have top-end talent come in and really come in and, and, and really perform in, in a big way. Um, I think it's crazy that, that you know there, there aren't any stars there's nobody that has made their mark, and you go, wow, that guy in the college football landscape really stands out. And, and it's also worrying because you, you, you kind of feel that way about the coaching set. They're fine. But there's nothing about it that's particularly remarkable. So I don't know. We're looking at more. We're looking at more of the same, I think, as we enter 2020, but maybe that is all besides the point. Maybe – the biggest lesson to learn from BYU football as we enter this year is that it's worth it to try to be audacious enough to, to try things when uh, it's, it, none of it makes any sense. <laughs> um, 
And, and you know, they're going to be playing an old school group of five, you know, kind of, uh, I would call it like low, lower half of the Mountain West Conference kind of schedule. Uh, you know, you only look at it and I think for most BYU fans, the only games that they're looking at is 50-50 games would be Houston and Navy. The rest of them, I think people are thinking the Cougars ought to win. So I think I think a lot of people have it in their heads with the eight games that are currently on. Maybe they'll be a ninth. Uh, a lot of people are thinking eight or t- or six and two or bust. That would be like the worst scenario. I think a lot of people are thinking maybe eight and zero oh, uh, for this year's team. I don't know what any of it will mean. I don't know what an eight and zero oh means on this year's schedule. Uh, it's just so weird for everybody. It, it's just there's so many different factors. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but uh, ultimately, it looks like the point is is that kids are going to get a chance to, to play a little football. We'll get a chance to kind of get distracted by that and, and enjoy it. And and maybe that's all that really ought to matter. <laughs> but uh, come on, who are we fooling? We're gonna get we're gonna get pretty into this. So I uh, I look forward to it. Uh, we will have a preview of the Navy game uh, coming up this next week. As for now, this is the 2020 BYU football season, year 13 of CougarCast. There are a few of you that have been around for all 13 seasons. You're no more important than somebody who's listening to my podcast for the very first time. Okay? All right. If you want to get into... <laughs> no, I really do appreciate it. all the support. There's lots of people who are very lovely, very sweet, and have nice things to say or disagree with me, and that's okay, too. Um, CougarCast at gmail.com. I don't tweet a ton, but if you're uh, interested in reaching out to me, you can go to Twitter if that's your way of doing it. Uh, uh, I'm at CougarCast on Twitter. You can also catch coverage on VanquishTheFoe.com. Thank you very much. I hope that we get to see some football games. We're 10 days out. It's looking like we're going to give it the old college try. Uh, And so that's all exciting. As always, go Cougars. And I hope all of you are doing very well. And take care of yourselves, all right? We'll see you soon.